Welcome everyone. Bon dia. Bon dia. Yeah, it's good to see a full house. It's good to see so many people coming. Who's here for the first time? I don't know if they asked before, but yeah, we always have a few people. You guys are all very welcome. Um, for those who uh, are here, not for the first time, uh, which message series are we on? This is a test of Meals with Jesus. All right. And uh, this morning we're going to end the message series on the meals uh, uh, with Jesus. And it has been a really special uh, time. Uh, we've been focusing on moments in the Gospels where Jesus chose to be um, at the meal, at a table, um, with the common people to explain theology. Uh, Jesus chose a common moment to open up the hearts and the minds of, of people and talk about the kingdom. And we've been really, um, yeah, we've been exploring that. We could have explored many other meals that Jesus had with people. But um, as of this morning, as we're coming to a close of this message series, of course, we had to focus on also the last meal Jesus had with his disciples before he went to the cross. Um, and for centuries and all around the world, um, followers of Jesus like us have been partaking uh, this meal um, that we, in our tradition, we call we uh, commonly call the, the communion moment, where we celebrate with uh, those elements. In other traditions, they call the Eucharist. Uh, comes from the Greek and means to give thanks. So it's a moment of worship. It's a moment of praise, where as we look at those symbols, we give praise to God for what they mean. Um, but why, why was this meal and why is communion so important and why do we celebrate it uh, so often as followers of Jesus? And we figured and we found it important to um, talk about it uh, this morning because, um, because communion has become such a common thing in our acts of, 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 of worship and service together. There is also a danger that it might become just a traditional thing we do, just another ritual thing we do. And so it might lose the strength of its meaning in our hearts. And so um, we want to um, dive again into that episode. We want to talk about it again because that meal communion is, is an invitation to life. It's an invitation to our life as a church, as individuals, and we want to maybe this morning bring um, new insights uh, if you haven't heard about it, or if you, yeah, you know what the bread is all about or the wine is all about, but to bring that refreshment and to bring strength to those teaching on us. Because this was something that Jesus asked us to celebrate for the rest of our lives. There's few things that Jesus was so clear and so intentional to say, please remember this, please celebrate it. And this was one of them. So let's dive into it, shall we? Right? Okay, I just need to drink water. All right. As always, <clears throat> before we actually... Um, sit at the table with Jesus. We need to be well con contextualized, well grounded on what was happening in that moment in order for us to understand the importance, the significance of that moment. And so all the Gospels, all four of them, give us uh, an account of that meal, but they always give us um, 
a, de a detailed account of what was happening the week previous to that meal. Um, and so that meal um, was taking place as the festival of the Passover was happening, and there was the, the, the first of the major festivals, and so all the Jews were invited to come uh, to Jerusalem to celebrate that festival. So you can imagine the thousands, the hundreds of thousands of people that are flocking into Jerusalem, coming from all over the country, coming from foreign countries, Jews in, that were in different lands, they were all coming to uh, Jerusalem. You can imagine the thousands of tents outside of the city gates, uh, people walking on the streets. Uh, there's noise everywhere. There's animals, businesses booming. People are talking with another. There's different language being spoken. People greeting their relatives they're seeing again. And so Jerusalem is, is a city very much alive in that week. And so Jesus and his disciples very strategically decide to go uh, to Jerusalem a week before the beginning of that festival so that Jesus could be heard by the thousands of people. Uh, we are now three years into his ministry. He was already a known rabbi around. Some people love him. Some people hate him to death. But where Jesus would go, people would look at it. People would be um, uh, uh, gathered. And so that's the, 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 the week we, we have in all Gospels when Jesus, you know, enters Jerusalem riding a donkey that, and everyone is worshipping him. That's the, the week where Jesus is uh, teaching at the temple every day and in one of the days he's actually angry at what was happening in the temple with all the vendors. That's the week when some Greeks, some Greeks on the other side of the Mediterranean have heard of Jesus and they came and they want to talk with him. So that was a very special moment for Jesus and his disciples and his ministry. And so... As the festival is about to begin, Jesus asked Peter and John to meet a mysterious guy. No one gives us the name, but a guy who had prepared an upper room for Jesus and his disciples to have this meal. And so Peter and John meet this guy and then they conclude this space. And so Jesus comes with his apostles and he reclines at the table. And here we are having a meal with him. And this is what Jesus uh, says as the meal begins in Luke 22. Jesus says, I am very eager. I am so excited to eat with you before my suffering begins. For I tell you that I won't eat this meal again until its meaning is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Why was Jesus so eager to spend his last couple of hours to spend this meal before going to the crucifixion. What did Jesus meant by that? What was in Jesus' heart? And it's by no strange reason that all four Gospels talk about this very special moment. John, he spends one quarter of his Gospel length to develop all the conversation that had happened during this meal. So something very important was, was uh, happened during this meal and it was important uh, to Jesus. And so why um, was that so important? And so we need to now be contextualized about that meal. And so that meal that marked the beginning of the Passover marked, marked the episodes that Jews were to celebrate every year of the Passover uh, event that had happened 1500 years more or less before where all the Israelites were set free 
from their uh, uh, from their oppression uh, in Egypt. And on that night, on that night of Passover, the Lord passed over the houses, and only those who had their door frames sprinkled with the blood of the lamb were kept safe on that night. Um, and so on that night, the people had been instructed to have a meal inside of their homes, not to be outside, to be inside their homes with their family or close friends and have a meal, uh, to eat the lamb that had been killed for them to paint their door frames, to eat the, the bread and bread without yeast. And they were instructed to eat that meal fully dressed, sandals on, walking sticks ready because they ought to leave as soon as possible. And so they did in the next morning. And so the story told us, tells us that on that night, the Lord passed over and all the firstborns of Egypt, from the firstborn of the son of the Pharaoh to the firstborn of the prisoner of the dungeon to the firstborn of the animals of Egypt, none of them survived. But only those who kept inside their homes and their doors marked with the blood of the Lamb. And they were to remember that episode for um, the nation of Israel was to remember that episode for the rest of their lives. As a nation moves and are rescued from Egypt, there's another very significant moment that happened uh, between God and them. And God, in a moment where they met God in the Mount Sinai, God invites the Israelites to a covenant partnership with them. In a covenant, um, in a covenant God makes promises and he expects the partners to fulfill certain commitments. So when God invites the Israelites, we read this in Exodus 19. God says, if you, Israel, if you will obey me, God, and if you keep this covenant that we uh, are about to take, you will be my very special treasure. You'll be a very special nation, a special treasure to me among all the other nations of the world. Which nation wouldn't want to hear that from their God? You will be very special. You shall be to me like a kingdom of priests. And priests were those that would mediate between the divine and the earth. They were to be, all of them, like a kingdom of priests, like God mediators, God representants to all the other nations. And you are to be, to me, like a holy nation, a nation that is separated, separate from the other <coughs> nations, close to God, in service of God. And so Israelites are being called and the nation is being formed and this covenant is the grounds of their <coughs> identity. And so, um, yeah, the Israelites were, were, um, were called to be God's instrument in God's hands to be a blessing to all the other people. And so the nation had to make a choice. Will they uh, fulfill their commitment, their part of this covenant? Will they remain uh, faithful to their one and only God? Will they define good and evil on their own terms? Or will they allow God who defined good and evil to guide them in that framework that God designed them to be as a nation, as people? And if we know our story, we know how they unfortunately failed miserably. 
they were not faithful to their God. They were not faithful to their partnership. They wanted to make justice in their own hands. And because of that, they allowed horrible injustice to happen in all aspects of society. The kingship failed. The priesthood failed. The society became corrupted and vandalized. They start worshipping other gods. They start being idolaters. Um, and, they, um, and they did not use the privilege of being God's special treasure to be a blessing. They closed themselves in their own country. And they actually drove people away from their God. But in the middle of their hopeless situation, and in spite of their failure, God started talking through some prophets. And God says that there would be one day when this partnership and this covenant would be renewed, would be made new. Something and someone new was to come and was to restore these hearts, their spirits, their nation that was broken. And so this is what we read in uh, Jeremiah 31. Do you have the mic with you? Can you, can you read for me, Dina, please? <clears throat> Jeremiah 31. Jeremiah 31, the day is coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and Judah. This covenant will not be like the one I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand and brought them out of the land of Egypt. They broke that covenant, though I loved them as a husband loves his wife. But this is a new covenant I will make with the people of Israel after those days. I will put my instructions deep within them and I will write them on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. And I will forgive their wickedness and I will never again remember their sins. They broke that covenant even though I love them as a husband loved their wife. And yet there was unfaithfulness in this partnership. And yet... God says, I will make a new covenant and I will forgive their sins. I will forgive their weaknesses. I will never again remember this sin again. What is needed for such a covenant like that? What needs to happen so that such partnership can be renewed again? Ezekiel, <clears throat> he also wrote about this covenant. And he said, in this covenant, God promises, I will give you a new heart. And I will put a new spirit on you. I will take out your stony, stubborn heart. And I will give you a heart of flesh. A heart that is tender. A heart that is responsive. We see in other translations. And I, God, I will put my spirit in you. So that you will follow my decrees. And you will be careful to obey all my regulations. What needs to happen for such covenant to become true? All right. We have all of this information in the back of our minds, right? Finally, we're getting into Jesus again, right? Finally, we can sit at the table and you see how all this information will uh, pay off in the end. And so the meal starts. Let's start the meal with Jesus. And in this time... They, uh, the meal was, um, and the Jews still celebrate uh, this meal in this way, and they call it the seder, which means order. And there's a set of 
symbols that are to be taken in a specific order and all of them point out in remembrance of what was happening in Egypt. So Jesus is taking this meal, has the celebration of the festival of Passover and of all these moments there are for example three moments where they break the bread in memory of their affliction but also of their redemption in Egypt moment where they have to eat bitter herbs to be reminded of the slavery they had in Egypt they also eat the lamb in remembrance of the lamb that was killed in Egypt and, and the blood that was used and there was also four other moments where they would have a cup of wine to, and they would take it and they would mark the pauses of their meal uh, with this wine. And so Luke 22 um, narrates us that as the meal began, Jesus takes that first cup of wine. He gave thanks to God to it. And he says, take this cup and share it among yourselves, for I will not drink it again until the kingdom of God. So the disciples start getting confused. What does Jesus mean by that kingdom of God? He already had mentioned this before. He was eager until this meal is fulfilled again in my kingdom. Uh, why is he mentioning this again? What kind of meal? What kind of meal are we on? Is this the Passover or what? And here Jesus just is just warming them up, and he's just starting making these kind of connections between the symbols of the past and future reality. But the meal goes on, and in the last of the symbolic bread moments, Luke tells us that Jesus took a piece of bread, he gave thanks to God, he broke that bread in pieces, distributed to the disciples, and then Jesus said, and we have it, verse uh, 19, This bread is my body, which is given to you. Do this to remember me. yourself in the disciples' shoes. Now, that's strange. This bread was supposed to um, uh, celebrate that redemption, that uh, provision that, um, that the Israelites had, had, had experienced from God in Egypt. And now Jesus is talking that his, this bread is actually his body. Um, they heard a complete different meaning of what they're expecting. Jesus did not tell them what the, the bread was uh, um, meant to be as they've always heard all of those years but now Jesus is saying this bread is my own body no one has ever said something like this before and Jesus is taking this ancient symbol and he's transforming it in a surprising new way and bread was their staple food bread was sustenance and life bread was the basis of of all their meals. And this teaching, in a way, shouldn't sound also um, that um, odd or shouldn't be completely strange to these disciples. Because in a previous episode, Jesus had declared to be the bread of life. Some of them probably would have remembered that on the day after Jesus feeds the thousands, and didn't preach on that message, but the day after, Jesus meets again with the crowd, and the crowd asks Jesus for more signs. We want to see more signs because what we saw yesterday was not a miracle big enough. We want more. And the crowd uses that, well, God used, uh, fed the Israelites manna from heaven every day. So probably they wanted 
more breath from Jesus on the, the head spell. But so a discussion starts between Jesus and the crowd. And so this is what Jesus says in John 6. No, I am the true bread of God, Jesus said. I am that bread of life. And whoever comes to me will never be hungry again. Whoever eats from me will have eternal life. And so this invitation that Jesus had used in John, and now he was bringing that meaning at the, the, at the meal with his disciples, this invitation to, 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 to eat of this bread that represents Jesus' body is an invitation to be transformed and be sustained, life to be sustained. At the supper moment, Jesus was saying that the bread that represents his body also represents life. Jesus' sacrifice and the death is our life. His death is our life. If the meal wasn't mysterious and weird in so many ways by now, things were about to become a bit more odd. And so at the end of the meal, in that end cup, Luke tells us that Jesus picks up that cup and he said, This cup is a new covenant between God and his people. This agreement is confirmed with my blood, which is poured out for you as a sacrifice. Okay, now imagine really the disciples' faces. <laughs> what was going on this night? Jesus had too much wine. I mean, this was by the end of the meal. I don't know. Why is Jesus, Jesus talking now about his own sacrifice? Why is Jesus talking that this wine represents his blood and his sacrifice before others? What does this all mean about Jesus? Is just, he's just bringing the party down, isn't he? What, what, what's happening here? And the new covenant? What is Jesus talking about? The new covenant. This doesn't make sense. We are supposed to be celebrating what happened in Egypt, our victory over Egypt. And Jesus is talking about a sacrifice and his sufferings. And, and what so? The disciples were clearly very confused. But again, the symbol of blood uh, was something that was very important for the Jews as, as well. And maybe some connection could have uh, started to be made in their minds. Back in the Old Testament, back in the, the previous covenant, the sacrificial, the whole complex sacrificial system that they had um, um, would require that an animal uh, would be killed and the blood of the animal was to, bring, uh, was to be brought before God uh, in the altar and sprinkled there and so on. They believed, and it says in, in, in Leviticus 17, that the life of a creature is in its blood. The blood represents the life of a creature. So, for example, in the Day of Atonement, when the high priest goes to the Holy of Holies and he presents that, that blood and sprinkles that blood in the Ark of the Covenant, um, what's happening there is, is the symbolic moment where the life of the animal is substituting the life of the people of Israel being presented before God. So the body of an animal was dead weight that carried the sins and was left out, but the life of the animal representing the life of the people was being brought uh, before uh, God. 
And again, in that conversation in John uh, 6, when Jesus says he was the bread of life, Jesus always also had gone forward. And he also had some bloody things uh, to say. So in that same conversation, Jesus had affirmed, whoever drinks of my blood has eternal life. My blood is to drink. So whoever eats my flesh and drink my blood remains in me and I in him. And you can see how many people left after Jesus had said those things. Jesus was full on in his parables, in his uh, uh, meaning. Um, and, that was, and that moment was odd. But Jesus keeps the same teaching. And now again, Jesus is bringing home this ancient symbol of, of, of blood. And he's connecting to himself. His own blood. His own life. Like the blood of the sacrificial animal that was presented before God. That was now Jesus' blood. Like the blood that had been used to mark the door frames of the houses in Egypt, that was now Jesus' blood. He is the substitution. He is the salvation that we all need. But there was more. Jesus talks about a new covenant between God and his people. That new covenant that had been promised through Ezekiel and Jeremiah that new promise, the new covenant was now being inaugurated by Jesus. And that new covenant, do you know what required? Not a blood of an animal anymore. But it required another sacrifice. The sacrifice of Jesus himself. God so loved the world that despite people's rejection of him, despite people's willing to, to, to break their partnership, God still gave himself in a costly demonstration of love to renew, to make new, to restore what was more precious to God. A relationship with his creation. This new covenant is a covenant of life. And this new covenant is now eternal. It's forever. And this new covenant is sprinkled with the blood of Jesus Christ himself. Little did the disciples know that they were about to experience a moment in story like no other. And this meal was just a warm-up, was just an explanation, was just an introduction because from that hour, that hour onward, everything would break loose. And so if this meal was a complete odd moment for these disciples, but a glorious moment in human history, now we have the opportunity. Now we have the open doors to knowledge of what it all means. And what an awesome thing to realize that Passover and Jesus, they are fully connected with each other. They are not two separate things. Jesus is the fulfillment of that Passover. Remember when John the Baptist, who saw Jesus, and he says, Behold, this is the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. I'm sure John the Baptist had the Passover on his mind. And Paul later, he declared, This Christ, he has become our Passover Lamb. He is the sacrifice that we all 
needed. No one before was, could, could make this bridge. No one before could have renewed this covenant. Everyone failed, but God himself came and he, 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 he gave himself up so that a new eternal co uh, covenant could be made between all, um, all people. And so this moment of communion, this meal, it's of extreme significance. This meal, this moment, these, these symbols should anchor our faith. Communion anchors us in the past work of God. And communion stabilizes today in the present love of God as we remember and as we celebrate. But communion also focuses us to a future glory of God. And what an honor it is to share this table, right? So I'm coming um, to a close, and I want to get very practical now. From, so from the earliest days of the church, this communion, this moment has been reenacted, as Jesus instructed, so that we would remember him. So this moment um, helps us to look at the past in remembrance of what happened, in remembrance of his salvation, in remembrance of his resurrection, in the, in, to remember the life that we bring and all those elements, they are also reminders to our own senses by the, 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 the visual that we see breaking the bread, the, the, what we smell, what we taste, uh, the, uh, the wine. This is all to remember. In this, this meal communion, it's not, it's not something we do for Jesus, but, but rather is, it reminds us of what Jesus has done for us. And so it becomes something we do with Jesus. We participate with him in it. We share that same table with him. So this is a moment and we need to be reminded. We need to remember. And not just remember, but remember. Not just, not just, um, not just knowledge, not just, yeah, not just knowledge, but, but yeah, yeah has to bring life we need to remember it needs to to bring life again it needs to be significant in our, in our lives again but this meal is also present it also happens here and now it's something for today as well <clears throat> and so when paul is passing on his teaching to the new growing corinthian church paul wrote in first corinthians uh, 11 for every time you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you are announcing the Lord's death until he comes again. This moment is a moment of announcement. You are announcing. So wherever communion takes place, whether at church or whether at your houses, in how many times it takes place, whether on a weekly basis, whether monthly, this is an opportunity to announce this is a gospel. This is a visual gospel. It cannot be clearer than that. If we remember, like remember, then we announce and we proclaim. We announce that salvation is here and salvation is today. Salvation is, is, is available for everyone. Anyone is invited to take off this meal. Anyone is invited to this covenant. It is still available. 
Jesus calls us and Jesus said that he has inaugurated his kingdom and one day it will be fulfilled. But now is the moment for us to, to, be, um, to serve like Jesus served, to love like Jesus loved, to be just as Jesus was just, to be worthy servants of, of, of this king, to, 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 to be worth of this kingdom. Now it's still a moment for us to proclaim, to proclaim, to proclaim what this all means. In the text we read of Ezekiel um, and Jeremiah, and God said that there was a spirit of God that would be poured out to ignite us, to fool us for this proclamation. The Holy Spirit is our present helper. The Holy Spirit is Christ's presence in us so we can proclaim. And that should renew our minds, that should refresh us daily so that we overflow to everyone who's around us. But Isaiah, he had also something to say about this covenant. And he said of this covenant that the words of this covenant are to be on your lips and on the lips of your children and your children's children forever. This is a covenant to be proclaimed. They are to be on your lips. They are to be taught to the next generations and the generation follow after that. And for at least 2,000 years, this covenant has been proclaimed. And the majority of us, I believe, are all here because of the way someone was faithful, was a faithful partner of this covenant and proclaimed it to you. So in the same way that the Israelites were called to be instruments in God's ends, to be a blessing to, broken, to the, the broken world, to the other nations, we are also called to be instruments in God's hands here And last but not least, this, this communion, this moment, um, also drives us to a future. We celebrate not just the beauty of the past, we proclaim not just the love that is available in the present, but we, this, this moment also helps us to look forward with hope to the future. And again, the instruction that Paul is given to the Corinthians, for every time... You eat of this bread and you drink of this cup. You are announcing the Lord's death until he comes, until he comes again. You are announcing until he comes again. There's a moment where Christ will come again. There's a moment where, where this kingdom, where the salvation work will finally be completed. There's a moment where all will be brought before Christ and all will be finally clear and resolve. And so the meal that, that we, that Christ has prepared and has asked us to remember, it's not the last meal. There will still be another meal in the kingdom of heaven that Christ has prepared for us. And he will bring to that meal all of those who were faithful, all of those who were who kept that, that covenant and will jointly glad this li eternal life-giving meal moment with him. And so this is what we read in uh, Revelation 19. So as the people gather, and in John when he writes, says it was like a crowd and, and the sound was like 
a roar of mighty oceans and the crash of loud thunder. This was a big crown of the, of the faithful ones that are coming to this meal in heavens. And everyone says, praise the Lord. For the Lord our God, the Almighty, He reigns. So let us be glad, let us rejoice, and let us give honor to Him. For the time has come for the wedding feast of the Lamb, and His bride has prepared herself. Church, the bride of Christ. This bride remained faithful to the covenant. And now this bride is coming to this wedding feast with Christ, the Lamb of God. And oh, this bride, she has been given the finest of pure white linen to wear. For the fine linen represents the good deeds um, of God's holy people. And so the angel said to me, write this, and blessed are those who are invited the wedding feast of the Lamb. This bride is presented as a faithful one, as a one who has embraced this covenant, embraced the help of the Holy Spirit, embraced trials, embraced circumstances, and a bride who has proclaimed the love of Christ to others. And now this bride, like a mighty roar, like a sound of the of the waves of the ocean it's it's so many people who are coming to celebrate with God so the meal also serves us as a taste of what is to come a taste of true life so as we practice communion as we practice this covenant moment may it steer within us hope 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 may we may it steer true hope in our in our hearts that one day there's yet another meal to be celebrated face to face with our creator may we be thankful for what he is and for what he has done for us